2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Bellato. We're here. We're here. We've arrived. It is the dead of the offseason, so there's no better time now as we await the six-week before training camp to dive into some position previews. We're going to go position by position, starting with the most important position for the Giants or any NFL team, the quarterbacks. That's where we start today. But before
1: we do that, my friend Nick,
2: how how you how you doing, my friend? How have how you been? I'm
1: excellent, Dan. I'm excellent out here in Arizona. Went and saw Neil Brennan a couple nights ago at a comedy club out here, which was a good time and seeing a lot of comedians at comedy clubs. So just enjoying myself. And I should be heading back to Jersey soon for a wedding. And a couple more times throughout the summer, I'll be back up in the Northeast for weddings. So I got to try some good pizza. So I'm going to be texting you asking for some good recommendations, my man. Yeah,
2: maybe you could text me and ask me to hang too. What the hell, man? Let me know when you're coming up (laughs) to Jersey. The Arizona trip never worked out, but hopefully we can spend some time in Jersey. I got some recommendations. I got some new stuff brewing. Um, I actually, I'm doing well as, you know, I'm doing great myself. I just spent the, the weekend in Vermont, actually. My friend Brett is getting married a little bit later. Shout out, Brett. Big fan of the show. One of my best buds from Wisconsin days. He's getting married next month. So, Brett, first of all, we're older now. So, things have changed. But Brett is a mountains guy. You know, he's a hiking guy. He's not... was never the club guy so we did the bachelor party in vermont up in the mountains basically the idea was just spend some time with friends hang out you know throw it back old school style and that's exactly what it was we did we had a couple fun highlights that i wanted to bring up on the show for starters the first day so we we drove up late thursday night it's a four-hour drive up to vermont from where i am and basically from where everybody was they were all surrounding states new york new jersey once i got up there I went to sleep pretty early. Well, we didn't go to sleep, bro. We stayed up, we, we BSed and we drank, but we should have went to sleep early, Nick, because the next day we were planning a hike, a 7.30 a.m. hike. So we wake up for this hike, Brett. I mean, I'm sorry, Nick. And Brett, the bachelor convinces us, let's do the hard one, right? Let's do, we're all like going back and forth. Ah, we want to do an easy one up in Stratton. No, 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 let's do the hard one. So the one it was described as, Nick, was relentlessly steep. That's the one we decided to do. The only thing in the description was relentlessly steep. I'm like, ah, whatever. I've done some crazy hikes before in Banff. I've done some crazy hikes in Glacier. I'm the man. I can hike anything. I'm going to do this. We get there. And one of his other friends was like, I don't know about this man. Like, I don't think I can do this. We really want to do this. And I was just like, listen, I'm not even worried about it. We get to this hike, Nick. It was literally, as build, relentlessly steep. Brett said he thought I was going to have a heart attack at one point. I needed to constantly stop. There was, I've never been on a hike before like this. It was just straight uphill. There was just no brief patches of flat ground, just ripping uphill. And then by the end of it, Nick, we get to the top, and it did clear up, so we got lucky at the end, but it was just like a full overhead cloud hanging over. So you didn't even get the good view, really, of, of getting to the top of this 2,800-foot elevation uh, hike, so... That was the start, and then after that, I re- I rebounded in a big way, Nick. Because I've learned now. Now we're in our 30s, dude, so it's things have changed. But and I still take it way too seriously because I'm obviously just a way too competitive person. But I went 15 and one in beer pong. Essentially, just ripped through the entire class. Whoever came up, yeah, it was just an absolute clinic that I put on. Now afterwards, I realized. No one really cares anymore about drinking games except for me. There are a few others. There's like one other person. Brett is one of them who is just as competitive. But my competitive nature just takes over in these moments, and I just want to win these games. I take way too much pride in being good at beer pong, for starters. But it was fun to just throw it back and play drinking games on a lawn, you know, out in the sun, day drinking, just haven't done in a while. So I
1: I was on cloud nine after that. It was a really fun weekend just getting away. To be young again. But, Dan – Would you play beer pong with me if I didn't drink the beer? Because I don't drink the beer whenever I play beer pong. I really hate that about you.
2: I'm going to be honest. (laughs) Nick, it's just just a devastating, you know, I have to come to this realization. There's just somebody who just decides not. So do you like hand it all? Like, oh, here's the deal. Are you one of those people who like you have to play with a teammate who's just going to handle all the cups? So you'll like pass it to your
1: teammate? Absolutely not. I'm the teammate that will say, hey, I'll take a swig of my – Jack and diet or just the whiskey straight or whatever I'm drinking at the moment. So I'm still getting drunk. It's you're just not- essentially
2: you're, you're pushing for water pong, right? Because you're pushing for side beers or side drinks. Well, cause there are games where it's just beer. Like we played old school beer pong. This is the first time I'd played in a while. Like lately when I've been playing, it's just been water cups and you just have a side beer. Uh, you can kind of drink it as your own on your own repace or whatever. No one really polices it. This was really legit beer pong. Like, we were doing, two, th- I think, three beers a game, 10 cups. You had to really drink. So if you were in that scenario and I was your teammate, Nick, it would be pretty effed up if I had to drink all 10 cups. You know what I mean?
1: It's revolting. So you were playing with the beer in the cup yes. and the dirty-ass ping-pong ball. Dirty ping-pong
2: balls, not nasty changing food. cups out every game, despite their COVID being around still. Just an old-school beer pong, yeah.
1: Yeah, that is detestable. <laughs> I, I would never do that. I know you. I know you wouldn't, man, but
2: look, I can't handle all 10 cops. I mean, I could, I have, but I don't even want to. So, I don't know if we'd ever be Beer Punk teammates, Nick. Probably make a good team though, just because uh, we would to be solid. I have a really good Beer Punk stroke. I'm just going to be honest with the with the listeners here. I'll take anybody on anytime. Maybe we'll do it at MetLife this year. I'm going to remember I threw it out there before, but if anyone wants to meet up, I'd love to meet some of the listeners. I'm going to the Monday night game against the Cowboys in week three of this year. So if anyone wants to meet up, maybe set up a beer pong and I can show off some of these skills. Show off my skill set. I'm basically the Tom Brady of beer pong. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not that good, but I'm all right. We're going to get to position previews eventually, but we said before that what we want to do is a Daniel Jones deep dive. And that's what this is going to be today. We're going to take a look at some advanced stats and we're going to take a look at trades and we're going to project moving forward within the new system. This is the Daniel Jones deep dive of the offseason. Let's talk a little bit about some of the advanced stats here because we dug them up. But let's, before we do that, actually, let's just go in with a general synopsis of where you're at with Daniel Jones right now. How do you feel about him? What does he need to do this season to kind of sell himself to you for the long term and what are your expectations for you know how he'll adjust to a
1: new system firstly he needs to stay on the football field so that that's my number one priority in order for me to commit myself to daniel jones long term is he needs to stay on the football field not get injured and also prove that he can adapt and learn this new system, and take his game to the next level. So in order to do that, Daniel Jones needs to have quicker eyes. He needs to process a bit faster. He needs to find the open receiver based on the coverage that the defense shows post-snap. And that could be different from what he understood pre-snap, but he needs to do that at a more consistent level. I think that would be my number one thing. That's the thing that we keep saying on this podcast, but it's very accurate. Because Daniel Jones, he makes more positive plays than he does negative plays. Like, I want to make that clear. but Every starting quarterback in the NFL does that. It's just he has to mitigate the times when he does do those negative plays, when he tries to do too much with the football. And I feel like the difference in systems right now with Jason Garrett and Brian Dable, it could be colossally different. We could see more 10 personnel. We might still see a lot of 11. We still could see 12. I'm not really 100% certain. But what I know is there will be different verbiage and there will be different terminology and there will be different audibles and everything. The, the entire offense is different. So he needs to prove that he has adapted to that. And we should find that out hopefully early on in the season. So I would say it's all of those things collectively. And then you just take it one series at a time.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you bring up some great points there, Nick, for me, I do want the decision to be based on the entire, to be based on the entire body of work. I think you're selling yourself short as an NFL evaluator and as a you know, front office management man and a head coach, whoever you want to include in this. If you just base an extension or a plan long-term on what somebody did in the most recent season, they played that entire four-year body of work, including the injury history needs to be factored into this because look, there are times we've seen in the past quarterbacks put together good numbers, big seasons in their first year in a new offense, only for things to kind of fall apart in that second year. And why is that? Because defenses get more film on these quarterbacks, defenses adjust to what they're doing within the system, and then that's the key right there. What happens next? That, to me, is what makes a great quarterback. That, to me, is what makes a quarterback you want to move forward with. How does he react next? What does he do once the defense takes it away? It's not about what he does when the defense isn't used to seeing some concepts or when he's doing things that haven't really been shown a lot on film. We saw this even last year as I looked through these advanced numbers, which we're going to get to. In a moment, Daniel Jones was so much better in year one under Jason Garrett to an extent where you could say, all right, here, come in. Let's let, let him flow in. Well, guess what? This would the old line. This would the injuries, blah, 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 blah. All the things we normally hear to excuse Daniel Jones's play in 2021. It's too much. Like the difference, Nick, was just too far. Great. We're talking about. Massive jumps from his numbers against the blitz massive jumps from in his numbers of big time throw percentage in his turnover worthy throw percentage, which really dropped in specific scenarios, which we'll get to again versus the blitz and when he was pressured from 2020 to 2021. The numbers were really different they were worse i know the overall numbers don't look that way if you just look at the raw stats from 2020 versus 2021 jones was a pretty similar quarterback but when you break it down you look at some of these advanced metrics even just things that aren't really advanced i mean they're not they're not really subjective it's like big time throw percentage how many times is he making big throws turnover worthy throws how many times is he putting the ball in harm's way you know yards per attempt which to me is still the best metric for a quarterback a metric where jones has been in a bot- bottom seven for his entire career Against the blitz when not pressured, when pressured, when not blitz. All four of those categories, Jones has struggled his entire career in yards per attempt. when you look at some of this stuff, year one to year two of even that same system with Garrett, which we know is a broken, bad system, Nick. He really dropped, he really fell off. So for me, the big thing with Jones is traits-based evaluation from these guys, from Dable, from Shane. They need to figure out. If he's shown enough improvement from a traits-based standpoint that he can be the guy moving forward, it can't just be based on this season for me. It just can't be. It has to be the whole body of work.
1: Absolutely. It should be the whole body of work, as you said, and that includes injury. A lot of it includes what's between his ears. We know he's a great athlete, and we've said several times in the podcast, I don't want Brian Dable and Mike Kafka to stray away from Daniel Jones's athletic ability because he has been injured so many times. We need all of these things collectively put together.
2: All right, Nick, let's start there. Give me some numbers on his deep
1: passing and his passing depth overall in his three seasons with the Giants. I found it kind of interesting, and I guess it makes sense because the offensive line was so bad in 2021, but his deep passing percentage went down each season. In 2019, he passed the ball deep 11.8% of the time, 20, 20, 96 29.6. And then last year was only 6.6% of the time. And he hit on a 33.3% rate. So he was eight of 24 with four touchdowns, two interceptions, but no other turnover worthy plays other than those interceptions. And he was best when he was targeting the deep left portions of the field. He had his two touchdowns there and 87 yards, two completions on four attempts. But he wasn't attempting as many deep throws in 2021. And I think a big product of that was Jason Garrett maybe being a little bit more conservative, albeit in 2020, it was 9.6 down to 6.6, a 3% difference. But it has to be Nate Soldier as well, the right tackle situation, which was obviously horrendously bad. But it does seem like, man, just going through the three years, Jones's ability to target down the field, whether it be the left, the right, or the center... Has been pretty damn good. Now in 2020, his deep right targeting, he hit 322 yards, a touchdown, no turnover worthy plays, and he was 9 of 15. So he was able to do that well in 2020. So that deep accuracy stat that we see thrown around from advanced analytics companies like PFF and SIS and places like that seems to be pretty accurate because Daniel Jones is having a lot of success when he is targeting deep. A lot of those are one-on-one situations, receivers making some plays for him. But I got to say the ball placement after going through some of the film is also pretty on point.
2: Yeah, 100%. If you're looking for traits, if we're doing a trace-based eval, of Jones. This is his best trait still. It has been since his rookie season, his ability to target downfield, his ability to layer the ball downfield. He puts, he throws with good touch. Now to me, a lot of these have been in the good weather games or in the dome stadiums. I still have seen at least just eye test wise. Yeah. And I know you agree examples of this waning a bit in those cold weather games down the stretch that I just think it's always going to be the case for him. I mean, if you look at just the combine numbers, I'm getting this from playerprofile.com. He tested in the 37th percentile among all quarterbacks in velocity. So in throwing velocity, so he's never going to be a high velocity thrower. And I think that does hurt him a bit in the colder weather, but you know, a lot of these games are played in domes and some of these games are played in decent weather. If they're not in domes and he's done a really good job in those situations of putting the ball in the right spot, or at the very least, like you said, putting the ball in position where his receiver can make a play on the 50, 50 ball, which is why we had so much hope for Kenny Galladay, by the way, that was the main reason we love this guy coming in last year. And it just never came to fruition. Unfortunately, you, you said it best. The attempts were just way down from 2020 to 2021 and even from 2019 to 2021, um, obviously 24 attempts. Like you, you charted from 2021. In 2020, it looks like those attempts were up. Same thing for 2019. And so it's the question you have to ask yourself is why I think you outlined some good reasons. One would be the right tackle play though. I do think he upgraded from a really good, uh, you know, upgraded in left tackle play in a major way in 2021 from 2020. So I don't know there, uh, it's definitely a factor. The injury was that receivers also a factor. I think part of the factor is also teams getting more tape on this system and, teams sitting on routes and teams understanding the concepts that Jones wants to do within the system that's the big thing for me when it comes to the system stuff Nick because this is the main talking point among Giants fans Jason Garrett is the main reason that Daniel Jones sucks so bad and while I think there's a lot of validity to it we saw it on tape Nick week in and week out a really bad system with sometimes bad situational play calling but what I wonder Nick it's just And it's. I don't know if there's ever going to be a way to prove it one way or another, which is why I'm just going to toss it to you and see if you have any like further thoughts on it or more advanced thoughts on it. But how much is it a system problem with Jason Garrett? And how much is it a Jones problem? How much is it he has certain concepts he likes within each system? And once you have enough time and once you have enough film on those concepts and you can take those away from him, he just has no answers past that. Or he hasn't had any consistent answers past that. Do you have any feelings on that?
1: I do. I feel if we had a conversation with Jason Garrett, we might, as Giant fans, view this a little bit differently. I think the assessment that Jason Garrett did not have a great offense for Daniel Jones is accurate. But I also think Daniel Jones held back Jason Garrett's offense as well. So I think it was a marriage between the two. Jason Garrett had to play... With Dave Gettleman's pieces, which was a really bad offensive line. So we had to operate a lot of quick game and things like that. And he might have did some things that Daniel Jones wasn't fully comfortable with and became a little bit too predictable in terms of his play calling, which definitely didn't enhance Daniel Jones's skill set. But There are things Daniel Jones doesn't see and didn't see on film that you and I would be like, oh man, I remember a couple of plays against the Kansas city chiefs. That was a primetime game, another bad weather game to go to your other point and to go off on a little tangent. What was Daniel Jones? Probably worst game of his career was the second game against Philadelphia back in 2020 when it was really, really windy. So you're hundred percent accurate on the bad weather stuff, but to circle back to that Kansas city game, there were a couple of plays other than that interception on the first play of the game where he had guys open. And he, I remember one. He had he threw the ball to Kadarius Tony like five five yards over Kadarius Tony's heads on purpose because there was a an underneath defender underneath Kadarius Tony. But in the middle of the field, if he knew the safety went into that direction towards Kadarius Tony along with that cornerback, he had two guys in the middle of the field that were open that could have been easy touchdown passes. But Daniel Jones didn't process it. So obviously, the the lack of ability to to for, to have all of those things firing in Daniel Jones' head at one time held Jason Garrett's offense back as well. And that maybe forced Jason Garrett's hand to be like, okay, we're just going to do these little quick plays and try to have these 16 play drives to get into scoring position because he didn't trust Daniel Jones to not make a mistake in order to attack deep downfield on a more regular basis. I think there is some merit to that argument as well. It's collective; It's definitely not just individual. hundred
2: percent. I think one of my biggest frustration points sometimes when talking with giants fans, is the idea that, every single play there was a drop back jones was immediately pressured and there was nothing he could do but get rid of the ball quickly i think when you watch the tape it doesn't show that at all and i think it's really easy to just kind of think back at these hundreds thousands of offensive snaps that there were and just be like every single time it was a bad route combination and bad pass protection but the reality is so far from that the truth is not that when you watch the film week in and week out you have to watch it multiple times for a podcast you kind of see the differences there are some really there are some interesting route concepts week in and week out from Garrett let's be honest about the situation and there are some plays that are protected better than people realize and that's one of the big things I want to get to today Jones's ability and his numbers and some of the advanced stats from when he's in the pocket And he's throwing from a clean pocket because that's the area that's some of the areas where he's really struggled as of late. And it's the question for me just comes down to, again, how much is him? How much is Garrett O-line injury as a receiver, yada, yada, all the stuff that we always hear, because that's the real determining factor in what he can be. So eventually, Nick, I do want to on this podcast get to a traits based evaluation of what Jones is as a prospect right now. And those traits are not only just what he came into the NFL with. I want to base them on what he's shown at the NFL level, because to me, Nick, more than anything else, that's what I need to move forward with Jones. I need him to put all the traits that he's shown, you know, flashes of being really good into a consistent form, because there are always going to be traits about Jones that I don't think are long term solutions. His arm talent, I think, is adequate at best. He does not. Like I said, 37 percentile velocity. It shows on tape. His ability and his and his willingness to throw into tight windows, I'm hoping that can change. His pocket presence and pocket manipulation, I'm hoping that can change. And honestly, to be completely honest, his accuracy, which we'll get to a little bit of, has not looked the same as it has. I'm talking in the short and intermediate in recent seasons, in 2020 and uh, and especially 2021. And that also goes into you know, can he attack the middle of field? Can he be a weapon as a quarterback in the middle of field? Because that's really where all these quarterbacks are great. And then finally, can he become somebody who is a winner against the Blitz? Not somebody who is one of the worst in the NFL against the Blitz because ultimately that's what he is to me, Nick. He's always going to be a pocket passer because of his inability to throw off platform from an unbound space. So what you need as a pocket passer, Nick, you need to be able to beat the Blitz. So you want to get into some of those numbers against the Blitz
1: now? Yeah, dive right into the Blitz. I wanted to actually... yeah. Well, go we'll, go so because you mentioned the the attacking the middle of the field, and I think that's something that maybe we should go into right now and then we'll get into the blitz. Cause yep. I think the blitz is kind of the meat and the potatoes of Daniel Jones. So I saw someone posit a question on Twitter about Daniel Jones attacking the sideline and then attacking the middle of the field. So I went through and I looked at some advanced statistics on his completion percentage and passing outside the numbers beyond five yards. So I'm not including all of those little quick screens or anything behind the line of scrimmage. Modern NFL tends to have a lot of plays run in that area of the field. So everything beyond five yards. Before you do that, Nick,
2: just explain, just, just in case we have any questions on this, what you mean by outside the numbers and between the numbers.
1: Yeah. So the football field is set up in the NFL. You have the two hashes in the middle of the field, and then you have the numbers outside of that like 10 yard line, 20 yard line, 30 yard line. Outside the numbers is between the numbers and the sideline. and That's important because sometimes when you're throwing from the far hash, it's a lot of space between the far hash and then the sideline. So those are outside throws that not every quarterback has the arm strength and velocity to make. I think Daniel Jones does have the arm strength and velocity to make those throws. Now, is it Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert? No, but it's functional. So beyond five yards outside the numbers in 2020, he was 52 of 94. It's 55%. In 2021, He's 36 of 83, 44%. So a little bit of a dip there. Now, there's a lot of context not explained by any of this, like what coverage they're in, if there were drops, Uh etc. But then between the numbers beyond the five-yard line, in 2020, he was 96 of 159, 60%. And then 2021, he was 77 of 116, 66%. And when you kind of go back and you think about the 2021 season – I felt like he did a better job on those dig routes over the middle of the field. We saw it a little bit against new Orleans with Kenny Galladay. You you saw it sparingly on a little in routes, just beyond even five yards. If you look at, you know, the, the 10 plus yard range, he was at 15 of 23 attacking the 15 to 20 yard range, right side of the field. And then 13 of 18 attacking that same area. So that's between the numbers right at the numbers, all the way through the middle of the field to the other numbers. That's not a bad percentage at at that point of the field. So you know he can throw the ball deep. He's solid at that point of the field when usually it's zone coverage. There's a lot of players in that area. He can put touch on the ball to fit it into those areas, and that's something that we've seen. And then directly in the middle of the field at that same area, 10 to 20 yards, he was 5 of 9. So it's not like he's incapable of doing so. I feel like a lot of it comes down to him being a little bit tentative to make a mistake. And I wanted to pose this question to you. Could that be because of the way Joe Judge and Jason Garrett was teaching him? Whereas Brian Dable isn't necessarily being like, oh, you can't make a mistake. He's, you know, being a little bit more laissez-faire in a good way.
2: Yes, for sure. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I want to start with the first thing you said we talked earlier about what does jones do as well well one of his best traits is his ability to throw downfield this is another one of his best traits in my opinion nick the arm talent when it comes to his ability to attack the intermediate to deep middle of the field you talked about the deep digs to kenny dolladay well one thing that makes these throws a bit more special than your average nfl throw is that oftentimes he has to fit it into a tighter window because it has to be over that second level group of defenders and 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 obviously right before those safeties and the only way to do that is by putting the right trajectory on the football and obviously putting enough velocity on the football so the safety doesn't catch up to it. Or in another sense, if the linebacker can kind of drop back and put a hand in the throwing lane and tip it or something like that, if the velocity is waning. So I actually think you're right. He is. This is another area of Jones's game where we can look at a trait and say, well, this is a quarterback who at a lot of times, at least in my opinion, has at best adequate arm strength. And it's not at best. It's clearly, I don't want to say, I want to rephrase this. It's not at best adequate arm strength. It is adequate arm strength. He has very adequate arm strength, which is not a bad thing, by the way. It's a pretty solid thing. Like, Jimmy, there's been quarterbacks who have been successful with adequate arm strength.
1: It's just a matter of. I would contend you... that's a little bit more than adequate, I think. Okay. I mean, it, we it, would, it depends would on how that. you're, I would say, so yeah. like, if I'm looking at it, like there's poor, marginal, adequate, solid, good, very good, excellent elite. Oh, I think Jones, yeah. So like, I think you would agree probably it's solid. Like, I think it's an NFL solid arm. It's yeah, not.
2: Yeah. I think we're th- we're thinking the same thing, just using different terms for it.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair then.
2: Yeah. So sure. And, and I'm, I'm willing to, we're we're definitely both on that same page, but wow, crap. I was going to say, so with that in mind, his ability to make those throws what's interesting to me and what I want to unpack there is the willingness factor versus the, you know, you know, has this been coached out of him? Is it important to, to, to allow him to make these throws? And I think you're right that it is. But one of the things is, and my, for, for my money, Nick, and, and I'm curious to get your take on this, I thought the best play Jones made all season last year and maybe the best play in my mind of his career, as crazy as it sounds, and maybe not his career. He had some really fun plays in that first Tampa game. And he had some good plays in that Washington game of his rookie season. But one of the most impactful throws that he's made in my mind or plays that he's made came against the Saints last year on a dig over the middle where he made the decision in his head to understand the throwing window. This was the throw to Kenny Galladay wasn't there in the original throwing window. He saw it. He didn't throw the ball. He he took it, took a breather. Settle himself in the pocket and waited for Galladay to get into the second throwing window and then made that throw with really good touch, really good ball placement and solid velocity. And that's to me, that's the crux of Jones. If he could do that, that was one time. And, and there were a few other plays on tape over the course of the season. Unfortunately, not many. Few is probably an accurate assessment assessment of how many times we've seen that. I personally can't think of any others that exactly were like that, but I know just thinking back, my memory isn't great. There are a few that are probably pretty close. But if he could find a way to replicate that, and I know again, it's utilizing the deep middle of the field, it's utilizing the dig route that we're just talking about, you know, which is important too, his number one receiver. But that, to me, is the crux of Jones—just finding a way to improve the, you know, processing in those first when those first windows aren't open. Maybe understanding, look, this guy can get into a second window. I have the time to sit and wait, and I can make that throw with accuracy. So that may be something, like you said, that increases under Brian Dable. But I will say this, Nick, and I wanted—I wanted to bring this up, so I want to get your take on this. It's a double-edged sword, to be completely honest, because while it's true. That the coaching of Garrett is nothing that we get on board with. <laughs> it was definitely bad for Judge. I'm sorry, for, for for Jones, not Judge, obviously. With more tight window throws and big-time throw attempts, Nick, are going to come potentially, not for all quarterbacks, but potentially for Jones. He had the fifth most and the sixth highest turnover-worthy uh, plays. That dropped to just the 13th most and the eighth highest in 2020. And then in 2021, that dropped to just the 24th most, but still the 20th highest. So those numbers came down in large part because he didn't attempt these throws. So they're going to come. I mean, it's obvious that that will come with more, but I guess the, 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 the the crux here would be, he has to find a way to find the sweet spot, right? He has to find a way to find the middle zone and be able to make these throws, attempt these throws, but also not put the ball in as much harm's way as he did during that
0: 2019 season. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
1: Yeah, and I think there are arguments for Jones Truthers to be like, well, that was his rookie season. So let's give him a break. And I'm I think that argument, yes, I think you take that into account because generally speaking, a couple of years into your career, you have more experience. You're probably going to be a little bit more versed to turning the football over. But the main point, as we've said so many times, that Jason Garrett and Joe Judge was, let's bring those turnovers down. And that possibly like we said on an earlier podcast stymied daniel jones because he was so afraid to make a mistake where brian dable does not seem to have that same type of mentality and it, that sounds all well and good right now and we're celebrating it but you're right week one rolls around and it's a final drive of the game daniel jones thinks he could fit the football over the middle of the field and it's intercepted by a tennessee linebacker we're going to be saying what the heck are you doing there so it's definitely a double-edged sword that very sharp and i did love that throw To Kenny Holiday, that was off the play action, and I think it was the first play of the sec or the yeah the third quarter. I think that maybe or maybe the second quarter. Anyways, it was off the play action, which is a whole That's a whole other thing too, because Jason Garrett to set up these deeper passing concepts because the offensive line was so bad. He did a lot of play action, sometimes seven-step drops. Jones sets up, steps into the pocket and then he unleashes the football under presumably good protection or possibly roll out move the pocket type of stuff. I'm wondering how much of that we see with Brian Dable because it was something that Jones saw some success with.
2: I do want to get into this, but I don't you you brought up something that I don't want to pass on first. So let's okay. keep this in mind. Let's put this on the burner because it's coming up soon. I want to talk about the numbers you found with Jones as a play action passer because like you said, we may not see as much play action under Dable, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, what I want to ask you, Nick, is this thinking back, just eye test memory from what tape over these last three years with Jones. I feel like a lot of his turnover-worthy plays, obviously we just talked, the percentage was way higher in 2019, came down a bit in 2020, came way down in 2021, as his dot averaged up the target, completely plummeted to 31st in the league in 2021, which is obviously a big reason why you throw fewer turnover throws. But from my memory, Nick, I honestly feel like most of his turnover-worthy throws, if not almost all of them, were less an example, and this goes to your point of kind of the arm talent thing, of him trying to fit a ball into a tight window that he shouldn't have getting tipped up in the air and intercepted or somebody jumping it and getting accepted. I feel like less of it was his willingness to, you know, to, he's too willing to make these tight window, big time type throws. And more of it was just him simply being late, I remember a few plays, one against Minnesota that comes to mind, one against the Rams last season. There's a there's a bunch over the course of his career where he's just too late with his processing and just sitting in the pocket and he's like, all right, I'll come back to this throw. And then he doesn't understand that there's an underneath defender coming in who can make a play on that football. So I think for me, most of what I remember as far as his turnover-worthy plays and why the percentage was so much higher earlier in his career were just examples of him kind of too late to, with his processing and then coming back to to something that just should you know, he's too late to make that
1: attempt. It might not be a processing issue. It could also be an anticipatory issue. Right. And I think that's another aspect of this as well, Dan, because the one play that kind of came to my mind when you said that was the play against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the fourth quarter where he threw the ball and Devin White tipped it up in the air and a Buccaneers defender, I think it was Mike Edwards ended up intercepting the pass, but he had the guy over, The guy was turning. You're supposed to throw it before they turn, but Daniel Jones waited to kind of see him enter his turn before throwing the football. It was like he was a little bit hesitant to unleash, and he was also kind of moving away from some pressure at that time, throwing on the run, ends up getting tipped by an underneath defender. So that is something that he has to definitely work on, and I agree. I I think a lot of those interceptions and a lot of those turnover-worthy plays all came because he was just a little bit too hesitant and maybe was a little reluctant to throw the football with anticipation, which is something we have seen, but maybe not consistent enough.
2: Not consistent enough at all. It's not even a maybe. I mean, that's one of the biggest crux of Jones. He has not thrown with anticipation nearly enough from a consistent standpoint that you need to be to not only be a like winning starting quarterback, but anywhere near a Super Bowl quarterback. And I think, You brought it up great with that example from from the Tampa Bay game. I think of them trying to mount that comeback against the Rams two years ago, where Jones was kind of just late on that sideline, throw the interception to seal that game and lose
1: that game. I just think Lewis' two point conversion against Tampa conversion was really uh, bad. Yeah. that
2: That ball has to get out a lot faster. But what I wonder is. How much of this can be fixed with a coach who says, "You know what? Screw it. I don't care if you throw interceptions. Just make these throws." And how much of it is just simply natural—the ability to anticipate, the ability to see the field well enough to know that in your mind everything has to work so fast, right? Like in this is why so, it's so hard to be a quarterback. You have to in your mind anticipate where this receiver is going to get open. Then you have to in the same time and. You know, with the same kind of rhythm, set your footwork up, set your lower half up, set your upper half up, and then get the ball out, like with your release being fast enough to get the ball out. And with all that, your release has to be, you know, sound enough and your mechanics to be sound enough that you have to be able to put the ball into the spot where you want to, where you anticipated it. And so I know you're going to have now a coach who's like, try it, go for it. You know, and that will help in some ways, because I think as we'll see, as we get to the under pressure stats, his A dot just plummeted, like his adjusted completion percentage was actually better in 2021 than any season while under pressure. But it makes sense when you consider his A dot just absolutely plummeted. And A dot, for those who don't know, is averaged up the target. So, what that tells me is when you got any sense of pressure, the coaches are probably just like, throw to this outlet, throw to that outlet, just get the ball out underneath because this averaged up the target was just insanely low. So, for me, it's a matter of, you know, I know you have a coach who's saying go try it, but as a quarterback, it doesn't really matter what your coaches say. You have to be able to anticipate this stuff and where it's going to happen. And then, like I said, everything has to work in line from the lower half to the upper half to, you know, your, your, your mechanics and everything like that. So
1: it will be interesting to see how much coaching can help this type of situation. Yeah, I think it can help, but you're hundred percent right. And you also can't get locked on too. That's another thing that I felt like Daniel Jones does. And it's not even traditionally when he's just sitting back in the pocket, but on those move the pocket plays where you have players from the backside flowing in your direction with you and you're using your athletic ability and you trying to throw on the run, something Daniel Jones doesn't necessarily do a great job at. There were plays throughout this season that just come to my mind off the top of my head. I remember there was one against Carolina where he just locked on to the out route at the sticks. It was a first and 10 play. But if you look just a little bit to your left, you have the receiver from the backside wide open in the middle of the field. This would have been like a 40-yard gain, and he just didn't see it or anticipate it whatsoever. He was just locked on to see if the the wide receiver was going to out-leverage the cornerback between the numbers and the sidelines. And it was basically split between the two. So there was not a lot of operating space. So I would also say he gets locked on a little bit too often for me. And that's another thing that I feel like hopefully can get corrected in a different system, a more progressive system and a more loose system. And I think just based on what we've
2: said about him over the years, when we do the film evaluations, it's more than just getting locked on a little bit. And I think you, you'd admit that too, Nick, uh, I, I'm not saying you're not saying that now, but I think it's quite clearly for anyone who watches his film, his number one trade space issue. It's been an issue for him since Duke and less so at Duke, because Duke was just such a get rid of the ball fast system, which I'm a little concerned with what we're going to get out of this stable year one, as long as Jones is his quarterback kind of thing. Cause I know there's all this hope of him throwing downfield, all this stuff, but, it seems to me so far, based on OTAs, a lot of it's going to be, let's find these quick layup throws, which can work at times, but may it really limits your offense, in my opinion, and your game planning. And I think it's kind of easy to take away with some defenses who have the right personnel to do it. But what I'll say is this. The slow eyes have been a factor for him since his Duke days and since coming into the NFL. His locking onto his reads, well, that's because he's not processing well. It's because he thinks something's going to be there before the snap. He goes to look at it it was a solution that he figured. It's not like he's just saying like, oh, I think I'm going to throw to the X here. It's not like Madden, you know, when you, I don't want to make it seem like that. Cause it's so different. It's not like when you're playing Madden, you're looking at the route combination, you're like before the snap, you know, you do this. Everyone does this Nick. And you're like, all right, I'm going to throw the X based on this. I think it's going to be there. Then you snap the ball and you are kind of just going there almost no matter what. It's not that for him. It's like, He's reading the entire defense. He's trying to anticipate where the defense is going to rotate after the snap based on what they're showing. He's remembering other things that they've shown. And then he's 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 catching the snap, he's setting up, and he's trying to make that throw to that spot. And I guess it is sort of like Matt in the sense that he's – it's not that he's going to do it no matter what, but he's looking, he's looking, he's waiting, he's waiting. And then it's almost like maybe I can get thrown in the second window, but that second window ends up not being there. And then ultimately nothing is there because he waited way too long on his first read all the other progressions are now no longer an option for him. And honestly, to me, that's been the number one issue for Jones by far. And I believe he's one of the worst in the league, to be completely honest at that. And I think it's not just a belief. It's what you would, it's what it's the main reason for his struggles. Um, and so how much of that can be changed with the right coaching?
1: That's the big question. And I think it can be changed, but it's not even, there. there were plays. And again, I want to make this clear. He makes more positive plays than he does negative plays. Okay, but still, like, how far is that going to get you in the NFL? If if you're making more negative plays than you do positive plays as a quarterback, you're screwed. Like, there's no way you're going to find the football field. So, I don't think we're being nitpicky or anything like that. But I feel like this is a reality that we have to address. So, there was a play against the Falcons that I remember. I think it was like a it was a it was a third down. They were backed up on their goal line and pre-snap, the Falcons were showing just straight cover two, and they dropped into cover two. It wasn't anything different post-snap. And Daniel Jones still locked onto the out route thinking, okay, it is cover two. That cornerback's going to be vacated by the nine route, but the cornerback was just playing cut and he just sat there and just baited Daniel Jones to throw on the football. Daniel Jones sat back in a clean pocket for a while, just waiting for Kadarius Tony to kind of get into his break. If he was a little bit more anticipatory for what I think it was Isaiah Oliver, one of those cornerbacks down there, he would have known that the nine route was going to be open because the orientation of the hips of that cornerback was I'm going to cut can jump that little out route. And that's exactly what happened. Daniel Jones almost threw an interception and ended up being incomplete and the Giants punt the football. But if he waited a little bit, he had Colin Johnson or Kenny Galladay, one of those big receivers, just streaking down the field in the honey hole. Those are like the little things that you see on the film and you're just like, you don't see good quarterbacks make those types of mistakes. So those quarterbacks make defenses pay when they get overly aggressive. But defenses don't necessarily respect Daniel Jones like they would a good quarterback. And that's
2: one of the bigger issues we'll get to when we talk about the blitz numbers, um, because that's obviously how defenses want to play him. But before we do that, Nick, I want to talk a little bit about the play action numbers you dug up, because, look, there is a concern for me that not a concern, but I will say this. Everything is great when it comes to the change from Garrett to Well, I'm really excited about it. I'm really hopeful about it. I think there's going to be so many more positives and negatives. Overwhelmingly more positives. But one area where I'm a little concerned about is the play action passing game, because this is an area where I thought you did a great job of breaking down earlier. Jones has really excelled from. He has, and this is something Greg Cassell talked about after Jones's rookie season in 2019. Cassell was like, one thing I really like about, and just for those who don't know, Greg Cassell is the OG NFL films guy, literally just spends hours, hours, hours every day watching film. Like, I trust his takes more than just about anyone, if not anyone, especially at that position. And he talked about after his rookie season, how one thing he really likes about Jones is that he shows an advanced ability to turn. And this seems like such a simple thing. Like even when he broke it down, some people who just are new, you know, know any general knowledge about the NFL be like, Oh, that's simple. Every quarterback should do that. But he made a good point of saying, no, like I watch a lot of film, a lot of quarterbacks struggle with this. Anyway, what that is, is he did a great job of snapping his head around really fast off the play action. So he can settle. So he can set himself up to see the field and make the right throw. And, I think Jones has actually been a really good play-action passer his entire career. The numbers obviously showed as well. We're going to get into that in a moment when you break them down. Are you a little bit concerned that that might go away this season? Because at least what we saw in Buffalo it was not a play-action-heavy offense. There were some... some meaningless play fakes that the defense didn't really fall for. And the linebackers probably didn't even read the keys on to be glide on It was a pass heavy offense. It was pass almost always on first down. It was pass often. It was a lot of spread. It was a lot of shotgun. It was a lot of hurry up some RPO, which we're seeing a lot of with the giants. Are you at least cons- a little, are you at any way concerned about, you know, going away from that drop back play action passing game with
1: Jones and then talk a little bit about his numbers there. I think, Brian Dable is going to incorporate the play action pass because I think the Giants are going to run the football more than Buffalo ran the football yeah. so I'm not too worried about it but in terms of Daniel Jones's play action passing ability so in 2021 he dropped back 31% of the time 2020 was 26.9% of the time which according to pro football focus he had his best grades in terms of play action passing in 2020 and then 2019 it was 18% of the time in 2021 let's just focus on that real quick he had a yards per attempt of 7.2 with five touchdowns, two interceptions, four drops, and a completion percentage of 68.1%, which is higher than his normal completion percentage. In 2020, he had a completion percentage of only 59%, yet he still had better grades 7.1 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and then the big six drops. So there were a lot of drop passes. Is turnover worthy? Plays were also down. He only had 2.3 in 2020 and 3.6 in 2021. And then in 2019, Pat Shermer's offense, he had a 65% completion rate, 8.6 yards per attempt, With which if you will remember, he was attacking downfield. I mean, him and Darius Slayton, they were just like best buddies down there, just taking advantage of one-on-one matchups. And Darius Slayton really came through in those situations. But there were also five drops, eight touchdowns, two interceptions with four turnover-worthy plays, which was a 3.8% rate. So... Some of this, like you could see huge disparities between the completion percentage in 2021 and 2020, 68% to 59%. I mean, that's a pretty big disparity, but I think there's a lot of context there that's being left out because pro football focus, I mean, they had better grades in 2020, and those six drops, two extra drops, and the less turnover-worthy plays obviously works in favor for 2020.
2: Yeah, not to mention, I mean, if you look at it, I will say this. The, the yards per attempt is what stands out to me, Nick, because 8.6 yards per attempt in 2019 off the play action pass. If you could do that your entire career, you're going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Generally, if you could somehow get to 8.6 yards per attempt per, in your career overall and all your passes, you're not Patrick Mahomes, you're Tom Brady. You're one of those guys. Um, but even the 7.1 in 2020 and the 7. Two yards per attempt in 2021. These are all well above Jones's overall yards per attempt. Now, I've heard from a lot of NFL analysts that one, yards per attempt is by far and away the best traditional stat to use for a quarterback. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. Two, I've heard you need about a seven point between 7.3 and 7.5 to be. And and typically now it's kind of r- risen as the numbers have gone up with the NFL game and the passing game. But around 7.5 is what you're looking for as an overall yards per attempt to know if your quarterback is giving you above average play at that position and giving you a chance to really move the football through the air on a consistent basis. And I know Jones didn't reach those numbers in those last two seasons off the play action, but in all metrics from every single season, he's had a higher y- YPA yards per attempt off the play action. So I think you're right. I think we're going to see a lot more running than we saw in Buffalo from this stable offense. And I think we're going to see a usage of the play action pass. And that's a really good thing for Jones.
1: So according to all the other quarterbacks in the league, Jones was 27th last year for quarterbacks that played 20% of their snaps. In yards and per attempt, are you saying? yards per attempt. Yeah. Jameis Winston, who I guess played more than 20% of his team's snaps, well, he had 10.3, Baker Mayfield, 10, Joe Burrow, 10. And then Jimmy is that Garoppolo. overall,
2: Nick, or is that off the play-action pass?
1: This is off the play-action pass, Ooh, yes. Okay, so maybe yeah. was way wrong <laughs> in that. Maybe these numbers need to be better. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how much this factors in attempts because, like, James Winston only had the 49 dropbacks, but he's, I guess, like I said, he played the minimum dropback or he played minimum 20% of his snaps. But then you'll look like someone like... Matt Stafford had 186. Josh Allen, according to this, did it 270 times off the play action. I think a lot of Buffalo, they go into the mesh point, but it's not like right. for it's a like zone fake three. play action, Yeah. And then like Tua had 183. Daniel Jones had 128 with the average of 7.2, five touchdowns, two picks, 27th in the league. So just for a context on what the rest of the NFL is doing. And some of these quarterbacks. So had throw a lot out everything of I said yeah. about it being healthy
2: at 7.2, please.
1: I mean, yeah, it's it's also also respective of the offense. Like, I think that's another part of this. I think a lot of teams, once they saw it was play action, just from watching the film, I don't have any analytics to back this up. There wasn't a lot of one-on-one matchups. Like the safety and the cornerback would both go off of that – one guy who was running and streaking down the field because the Giants would like to keep six, seven guys in protection. So there was only like two, three routes out. And if that one guy was covered, which he typically was, Daniel Jones would kind of check it down to Saquon Barkley or whomever. So I think that's another reason why the yards per attempt is down a little bit, because there were a lot of checkdowns near the line of scrimmage. I think whenever Jones actually had somebody in a one-on-one matchup, he would bludge and he threw the football. Yeah,
2: and that's fair. And I think that's something we'll see a lot more of this year, by the way. Obviously, we know we're going to see a lot more of that this year because the coaches have said as much. All right, Nick, let's take a look into some of the advanced stats for Jones when he's under pressure versus when he's throwing from a clean pocket. Now, let me preface this by saying this. Under pressure is not the same thing as being blitzed. Under pressure essentially just means a defensive player has one-on-one-on-one matchup or multiple defensive players. And they're in the face of the quarterback and they're pressuring him. That could come with a three-man blitz. That could come with a four-man blitz. But when you're hearing stats versus under pressure versus blitzed, blitz means the defense is usually typically sending five or more players. Blitz is a lot of what we're going to see from Wake Martindale this year. A lot of those second-level guys attacking downhill right at the snap. And so these are different things to evaluate, in my opinion, obviously. One is the defense making concerted effort to kind of take away some of those guys in coverage, whether that be the safeties or the second level guys in zone, whatever it may be to use as blitzers. And the other is just essentially maybe the offensive line, breaking down the quarterback, not reading the play fast enough, the quarterback, not going through his progression fast enough and eventually pressure getting there. Now, from what I've heard, Stats against the Blitz are not typically sticky year over year. This is what I heard from somebody I spoke with at Pro Football Focus. And these are all Pro Football Focus stats, by the way, but they're advanced stats. They're not grades. Again, remember, we all, me and Nick, both hold Pro Football Focus accountable. We take their grades with a grain of salt. But these advanced stats, I do put a lot more weight under because they're just stats. You can interpret them how you want to. They're not grades. They're not as subjective. Though I do think the big time throws can technically be, subjective in some ways Nick this is a tangent but when i was reading about him today Nick i was like eh, i don't know because it was like we consider big time throws the percentage of throws that are either 20 yards plus down the field or into a tight a tight window now who decides what a tight window is that's a subjective part i guess but anyway i digress what i've heard is the stats from a clean pocket are really what you want to focus on because they're the most sticky year over year. A quarterback should be performing well from a clean pocket. He should be able to deliver the ball on time accurately and, you know, in a spot for his receiver to make a play on it. So I do want to factor both in, though, because the pressure stats are important here. So here are Jones's numbers. First, we'll talk about under pressure. The key standout stats for me. I'm not going to go over all these. If you want to, I can send you guys a list of these and we can talk about it there. But just looking into it, the key stats under pressure for me is he threw 50 first downs under pressure in his first season, the 12th most, 53 in his second season, the the eighth most, and then that plummeted all the way to 28 first downs, 28th most in his last season in 2021. So this is the first one I want to focus on because of this. One, some people would say, oh, well, he played fewer snaps. To be honest, he only played one game fewer this season than he did his rookie season and two total games fewer, three total games fewer than he did in 2020. So the numbers shouldn't be that spared. He was also kept clean on 65.5% of his dropbacks in 2021. That's actually the highest percentage of his career for being kept clean because he actually has dealt with really bad, um, you know, kept clean numbers. So career low on first down throw, uh, uh, I'm sorry, career low, First down throws all under pressure. That's finding a solution to get a first down. Career low adat a dot. His average up the target plummeted all the way to thirty first while under pressure uh, this season in twenty twenty one. So his adjusted completion percentage went way up. It was a career high, but again, a bit meaningless when you view it in the context of how few solutions he found, as in first downs. Big time throw percentage going way down, and and more importantly, the first down solutions going way down. How much of that is just a, You know the. Well, he had no receivers were injured. Well, the the play calling was really bad. Well, the offensive line was bad. When we kind of know that in 2019 and 2020, those things weren't that much better. I guess in 2019, the play calling was a little bit better to an extent, though I never felt Sherman was that good of a play caller. He was just kind of ran a really simplified high-low half-field read system for Jones that he took advantage of and really didn't fully because the numbers weren't great. As you mentioned, the yards per attempt, I think the overall yards per attempt in 2019 were still bottom five in the league but how much of this is just, you know, Jason Garrett's system was figured out and they weren't
1: doing enough to change things for Jones and for the entire offense. I think it was all of those things. And I think it's also interesting just to note that the 7.8, a dot off of the pressure is 40th behind Mike (laughs) Glennon. So I think Daniel Jones didn't want to push the ball vertically. And he just always tried to find that check down every time he had pressure in his face. And yeah, he, his, you, you were talking about his, his kept clean percentage, which is funny because we think 2021 was the worst of the worst, which, I mean, it's kind of hard to, like, say that it wasn't, but the stats don't necessarily bear that out. But he also had a pressure-to-sack percentage, but only 15%, which was not that high. I want to say the highest was, I just organized it, Baker Mayfield. He was sacked 29% of the time. So that's a huge difference right there. Like, Daniel Jones ranked, looking at it right now, 28th in pressure-to-sack percentage. And I kind of wanted to take this question in this direction before we move on. Do you think that has anything to do with Daniel Jones's ability to maneuver the pocket? Because it was something we talked about during the season that I felt like he took incremental steps to get better at. And I feel like he probably did a better job in 2021 maneuvering the pocket and avoiding pressure than he did in the previous two seasons. 100%
2: 100% and the stats completely back this up. We talked about his ability to throw down field. We talked about his ability to layer the intermediate and the deep digs and fit that ball into that window where it needs to be. Those are two areas he's done. Well, this is not an area where he's done well that you bring up, but it's an area he's certainly improved on just by the numbers. He had back all the way. We're talking about back in 2019, his pressure to sack percentage was 18.1%, the 12th most in the NFL. And then that number dropped completely. Uh, well, it didn't drop completely. It went to, in 2020, to the fourth highest percentage. So it actually got worse. And then, boom, like you said, he made some really incremental steps in 2021 by really improving that number and throwing it completely out the window and, and really changing that to the 21st in the NFL. So from 12th most to fourth highest to just 21st most. And what we're seeing over, over these last few years from some really good studies are sacks are in a lot of ways a quarterback stat. For a while, fans especially have driven the narrative that sacks are an offensive line stat. Unfortunately, or not unfortunately, the reality is they're not. There are, there are two players in in, in the in, when it comes to sack. The offensive line, the pass protection and the quarterback and the quarterback plays a big role. He looked at it with Malik Willis's numbers. We've looked at it with Kyler Murray's numbers. Baker Mayfield's a great example. You brought him up. And so this is an area Jones has improved. I think he's done a better job of it, Nick. I still want to see him be able to manipulate and reset the pocket better. I think he does a good job of stepping up now through pressure, something he was struggling to do earlier in his career. And even at times bailing when he needs a bell earlier, when he should, you know, doing a better job of not doing that as much. But I still would like to see more of the Joe Burrow, more of the guys who can kind of the Brady, the Matt Ryans, the guys who know how to really sidestep and do those little stutter sidesteps and reset where the pocket is and manipulate the, the offensive line, and manipulate the defenders to go into a spot where they don't where they're not going to be able to kind of get their hands on him and bring him down. That's still an area that I don't think is born really by the stats, but I just feel like that's from the film an area he still needs to improve on.
1: I would agree. It's definitely an area he needs to improve on. And I want to make one thing clear, just maybe clarify what you said about the, the offensive line being guilty and the quarterback. I think also the play caller and the style of the quarterback, because when you look at someone like Joe Burrow, he was sacked 70 times last season. Like that is a ton of sacks, but you sacrifice, well, A, the offensive line sucks, but you, you sacrifice the ability to possibly take these sacks here and there, right? For the ability for him to find Jamar Chase down the field for 60, 65, 70 yards. So I think that also kind of plays into it. So like I don't look at Joe Burrow as somebody who's like, yo, you're terrible as a quarterback, you know, but like Daniel Jones doesn't have that type of skill set or that type of propensity to consistently look and keep his eyes downfield because he trusts his receiver and he knows his receiver is going to win that one-on-one matchup, whereas Joe Burrow did. Offensive line in Cincinnati was bad, but Joe Burrow also really tried to extend a lot of plays and got himself into some trouble.
2: Yeah, for sure. And he even talked about it, Joe Burrow, this offseason. I thought it was a great conversation he had where he talked about breaking down how most of the sacks he took were either in their own territory or when they were in a spot where it wouldn't uh, change the field goal attempt. Like it would be in a range where they could still kick the field goal with McPherson, who's one of the really good kickers. So that was something he specifically thought and went into his process of like how long he can try to extend the play. And like you said, you get more freedom to do it when you're actually making big plays downfield and you're keeping your eyes downfield and making throws downfield. So that's another thing. Another I want to talk about, which I think is probably one of the more legitimate excuses for Jones that you can make throughout his career because it's backed up by the numbers and less so just by the eye test or the narrative base or the kind of like narrative street type of, Oh, he didn't have this, this guy had this, he didn't have that, that team had this it's the drop percentage because that's really, it's, it's a, it's a true thing. I mean, you look at the first season under pressure, uh, wide receiver, uh, dropped 5.6% of Jones's throws. That was the 20, uh, that was only the 22nd best meaning like in, in the, like, uh, in a sense that you would want to be first for the least amount of drops. And then even next season, fifth most drops, or no, I'm sorry. In the first season, he didn't have the drop. Sorry. This would, I totally misread this only 5.6% at best is the 22nd best. So we actually had, you know, a really solid performance by receivers from a drop standpoint, but then in 2020 fifth, most drops, in the NFL, that number rose from 5.6% of his attempts under pressure to 13.4% of his attempts under pressure. And then in 2021, once again, A lot of uh, drops from the receiver, the 12th most, 12.7%. So really jumped into the double digits, almost tripled in its first season and then more than doubled in its second uh, from 2019 to 2021 there with the drop percentage. That's something we hope will improve this year with the addition of Wandale uh, and maybe just better health, I guess, from these guys.
1: Yeah, it's something that we hope. And I mean, let's be honest here. There are two players that really come to my mind in terms of drops for the Giants. One is still here. One, I believe, can have an impact. And that's Darius Slayton. But it's no certainty that he'll make the team. And then the other is Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram was a, a drop king, unfortunately. And he's no longer here. So hopefully with Wandell, even though Wandell with a catch radius, the ball slightly behind, can he really adjust consistently and make that, that play? I think that's something that, that, uh, that could cause some concern. But I'm, I'm hoping without Evan Ingram here and with a more stable group of receivers that that number will come down as well. Dan, you remember before last season what we kind of had a lot of concerns about with Daniel Jones was, and just the offense in general, was the red zone passing stats? Yep. His stats in 2021 weren't really better than 2020. Now, he didn't have the turnovers that he did in, in 2020. But just to go through it, inside the 20 passing completion percentage in 2020 was about 54%, which ranked in the bottom third of the league. He had 154 passing yards, seven touchdowns, and three interceptions. Inside the 10 was 52% with 42 passing yards, five touchdowns, and two interceptions. So he's turning the football over. This was all in 2020. But when we transition to 2021, no turnovers. That's excellent, right? 10 touchdowns total, five from the 20, five from the 10-yard line. Excellent. Excellent. But the completion percentage rate is damn bad, bro. 38%, 70 yards total and 47%, 26 yards total. The 38 is second worst in the NFL behind freaking Garrett Gilbert, who played one game. Like that's not anything to write home about. And that's inside the 20. And then in terms of inside the 10, 47% ranks just below halfway, like the highest in the league of quarterbacks that actually – played a lot of football was Tua Tagovailoa at 76% completion rate. And then you have Dak Prescott at 71, Pat Mahomes at 68, et cetera. What do you make of that? And that's just the
2: completion rate. It doesn't even go into, you know, there were a lot of throws that were thrown short of the goal line in this offense, which was not helpful when you're in the red zone, especially if it's third down. I saw a lot of, remember the, the flare screen that Garrett tried to throw out there. And one of these third and goals that was just completely rallied on, obviously you have 11 defenders. No one has to play the deep after is going to obviously rally to these types of pathetic play calls, but
1: the screens to Sterling yeah, Shepherd the too, screens all. To Shepard, all the,
2: the whip route said to go short of the end zone, just like
1: the constant
2: flow of BS. But, That's one side of it, but a fair side of it is that Daniel Jones has really struggled to process in the red zone. There were multiple examples on film of a window open in the red zone that he just did not see in time and therefore did not make the attempt. And by the time he did try to make the attempt to whatever read he did come back to, it wasn't there. It was too late. And there have been issues with ball placement that I've specifically noticed on film over the last few years, specifically while trying to throw outside shoulder in the red zone on some of those fade balls. He's throwing a little too much inside. There was a throw to Kenny Galladay that stood out from last season, really in my mind. And just a few other examples that it's, it's a, it's a Jones issue in a lot of ways, but I do think that it's not as bad as, so it doesn't have to be that bad. Like the way you just described it, Nick, he's literally the worst, if not the second worst red zone quarterback in the NFL. And if you have that, you have no chance to win in the NFL. That's your quarterback long-term. You have zero chance of a Super Bowl, but I think he can get around the middle of the pack with better play calling down there and better play design as well in the red zone. That's the key too. There's so many easy solutions that these teams are doing in the red zone. You can just simply copycat and a lot of them do. Are, or at least are based on pre-snap motion and and things that you things of that nature. And that's just something we need to see more of and we're going to see more of from the new Dave's offense. So I do think he can improve and, and take a big time jump there this year. It's just a matter of, can he ever be an elite red zone thrower? That's more of a question mark for me.
1: He did find Andrew Thomas for a touchdown. No, but another game that stood out to me though, in terms of his ability to attack in the red zone was that Kansas City Chiefs game, which I think you and I probably would agree it was one of his worst games of the year, primetime game, but he had two touchdowns within the five yard line in that game. Remember he had the one out route to Evan Ingram. That was a well-placed ball outside Evan Ingram extended, ran into the end zone. And then he had one off the play action to Kyle Rudolph on like a little seven route. So he showed glimpses like he always tends to do that. He can have success in these areas, but there, there were plenty of times, like you said, man with condensed, a lot of bodies in a condensed area of the field where you're like, you have to just quickly, diagnose that and get rid of the football and i just feel like he's just a step behind and that's all it takes is the nfl man it's a very quick game
2: it's super quick game and he's all that's the biggest issue with jones so far he's been way too often a step behind even that ingram play it comes to mind as an example of what i just mentioned earlier which is great job in my opinion by the all fans by the coaches it felt like on that play if you look at kind of where the linebackers were talking to each other after the play the the tempo really got to them there and it allowed that possibility on that play. The linebackers looked a little out of position before the snap where they were aligned. Uh, Am am I remembering this correctly?
1: Yeah, I believe so. I think it was Daniel Sorensen that ended up kicking out on him and Ingram had the leverage and Ingram did a good job. Just, I I think if I remember correctly, just kind of like running through his outside shoulder and kind of pushing off, but not an egregious amount. And then he just outran him because Sorensen's like 900 years old.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, That's a good thing, though. I mean, we want to see more of that. We'll take easy solutions. I don't care how the Giants score. I just want them to score. I don't care if it's Jones, the offensive line, the receivers, the coaching. I don't care. just want it to get better. And so that's something you'll definitely keep a look at. Let me run through some rapid-fire stats, and feel free to jump in at any time if you have any thoughts on any of these. So I'll start with this. Jones's big-time throw percentage versus his turnover-worthy throw percentage. So I looked at these numbers because, in my opinion, they take out the volume, Uh, You know, the factor of volume because it's just going on percentage, which is important since Jones has missed so many games and hasn't played in all the games. So in 2019, he had the fifth highest big time throw percentage. He also had the sixth highest turnover worthy throw percentage. 2020, 20th highest big time throw, 18th highest turnover worthy. In 2021, 29th highest big time throw, 20th highest turnover worthy. So you see in each year, his turnover worthy throw rate has gone down, but also in each year. His big-time throw rate has gone down. So I almost feel like the Giants—we know the Giants can't win with those 2021 splits. That's obvious. You can't be the 29th—you can't have the 29th most uh, big-time throws, but also the 20th highest turnover throws. But I think you have a better chance to win with those 2019 splits. But also, if you can somehow improve those 2019 splits and get it to, like, 15th or in the middle of the pack as far as turnover-worthy throws go— But also kind of get, you might not need fifth highest, fifth best big time thrower, but somewhere in the middle range in the 10, top 10, top 12 range. And I think the Giants are just going to have to take the good with the bad with DJ when it comes to him being their quarterback.
1: I think you're right. And that's why I do find this year a little bit fascinating because you have a new coach. Can he finally merge the the Daniel Jones that is conservative with the football in terms of not turning it over? with the Daniel Jones who likes to throw the ball deep with accuracy and with touch. And I hope that that can be converged. I'm not really hundred percent certain that it can be and at least not consistently, but I will not be shocked if it does because you know, we've seen quarterbacks progress in the past, but there's a lot more that also has to happen and it all comes down to diagnosing and mental processing.
2: Yep. Without a doubt. I also thought these numbers were interesting. I don't know if I have any takes on this. Maybe you do Nick, Jones's 2019 through 2021 splits from a clean pocket. So this is when the pressure didn't get there. Even if they blitz, it doesn't matter. He's able to kind of set himself up from a balanced base, square his shoulders up, and throw the football. He had the 23rd most big-time throws in 2019, and now a lot of people remember that 2019 season as really just Jones firing the ball and creating a lot of explosive plays. The actual reality, though, is that memory is kind of... uh, we're not kind of. It's it's wrong. Um, He threw a lot of touchdown passes, 24, I guess a lot. I would say a lot for a rookie, 24. It's not really a lot total, but it's a lot for a rookie. But it wasn't. A lot of them weren't off of big time throws because he only had the 23rd most. That number jumped to 11th most in 2020, which I found surprising. But then plummeted down to 28th most. I was just surprised to see the 2019 versus 2020 numbers. I think I was kind of guilty of being in that group of thinking 2019 was so much more explosive than 2020.
1: Yeah, I definitely was in that group. And I'm trying to think back now to the 2020. The game that sticks out to me was the Bengal game. He made a couple big-time throws, and then he ended up getting injured in that game. But other than that, I'm trying to think of some of these games where these big-time throws came from, and it's not necessarily clicked. He did not go over 300 yards in one game during the 2020 season. His most wow. yardage was an, against Tampa Bay, which I think you and I would agree, other than the Pittsburgh game. His two worst games, Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh, were the two games where he threw for the most yardage. And wow. they were – two of the four games where he threw multiple touchdown passes, just goes to show you sometimes, you know, stats don't always tell the story. Yeah,
2: without a doubt, it's a great thing. I mean, they're the the raw stats on Jones are are not what you look. I mean, I think someone said to me yesterday in my replies, I was so stunned to see this. I think only three times in his career has Jones had consecutive games with two or more touchdown passes. What a wild stat that is, right?
1: Yeah. One of them was week seven, week eight in 2020 with Philadelphia and Tampa Bay, both games that I think we could agree weren't, all that great. Now Philadelphia game wasn't, wasn't terrible. He finished with sub 200 yards though, in that game at Philadelphia. So it wasn't as bad as the week 10 game in MetLife stadium, where Daniel Jones threw for 244 yards, but missed. I I don't even know how many throws in that game, even though he finished with a 75% completion rate.
2: Yeah, that was an absolutely wild game. All right. Let me take a look at some numbers versus the blitz, and then we'll kind of wrap it up as far as this goes, as far as just looking at the numbers goes. So, We've talked a lot on this podcast about how I felt, and I know you felt the same way. That really, ever since that Steelers game in 2020, week one, there's been a little bit of a book on Jones. And that book has been this is this, and this was, and the craziest thing to me is this has been the case even once Barkley got hurt. A lot of the original narrative and thought process was well, defenses are going to have to account for Barkley. That means they can't afford to play their safe, or they can, they're going to, that's why they're playing their safeties so far up against Jones. And that's why they're taking so many more risks with their coverages and with their safeties. But that changed even when, and we kind of knew that was false once Gallman came in and they didn't adjust because in 2021, it really bottomed out here. are Jones's numbers against the blitz in 2021, he had one touchdown to four interceptions. He had the 30th, most first down. So on plays where he was blitzed, he was 30th in the league on, on completing a first down. From those plays. Um, and just for a reference point, we talk a lot about Tom Brady. I remember last year, everyone watched that giant game and they were like, what the hell? The giant, I hate what Patrick Graham did. What the hell is he doing? He's just not blitzing Brady. Well, it's like, guess what? Tom Brady had the most first downs in the NFL. He had 74 first downs when people tried to blitz him and people don't try to blitz him off. That number's insane. They don't have the percentage stats here, Nick, but I'd love to see it. I'm sure he's way ahead of anyone else. You, you just can't blitz Brady. There was no other solution for Graham or any other coordinator. He's way too smart and way too fast at processing. You try to blitz him, it's go things go worse. But Jones has been the opposite. He had the third most turnover-worthy throws. And this is despite you know an offensive system that didn't really ask him to take many chances and tried its hardest to, to not have him even attempt turnover-worthy potential throws. And yet, against the blitz, he had the third most turnover-worthy throws. And this goes against... You know, the numbers from or sorry, the third most terminal throws and only the 29th bet most big time th- or 29th best big time throw percentage. So it's not like he was getting blitz and throwing the ball up into, you know, a potential big play scenario. And then also the 24th best yards per attempt. That's no good. And the 25th highest averaged up the target. Now you compare those in 2021 to when he was not blitzed. He had nine touchdowns and only three interceptions when he was not blitzed and only 1.9% turnover with throws, the 29th most in the NFL when he was not blitzed. So right now it looks to me like a quarterback who is not finding any solutions when he's getting blitzed, but also, or at least wasn't last season. Let's keep that in mind because it's been better at earlier times of his career, specifically 2020, but is putting the ball in harm's way a lot more when he sees, when he's
1: getting blitzed and when he's not, what do you make of any of that? Well, I wanted to ask you actually. So I have the PFF stats of just him being under pressure. So it's not necessarily the blitz. And he only had two interceptions when he was under pressure. Does that concur with what you have? Yes, correct. Yeah. So he only had the two interceptions and it kind of circles back to what we said, maybe about 20 minutes ago. I just think when Daniel Jones sees a blitz or sees the pressure, he goes either hot. If he can diagnose it and find that quickly, or he goes to the check down and he doesn't kind of sit in the pocket and wait. And maybe that was a coaching point as well, because Joe judge and Jason Garrett knew the offensive line was so bad. So it's not a great look. It's a very conservative look, but that's kind of where I lean. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's
2: really true. I think there's a, you know, that's a big factor in this.
1: Yeah, I think he just would go right to that check down, right to that that sweet spot instead of, you know, he might have even had a guy one on one downfield. There were times on film where he did and we would always kind of excuse it. And it's a valid excuse to say, well, the blitz was coming. He was under pressure. He didn't want to take a negative play and he didn't want to fumble the football, which we all know has become synonymous with Daniel Jones dating back to his rookie season.
2: Yeah, dating back to his Duke days, he had an incredible amount of fumbles at, in his career at Duke, actually. That was I remember reading that about that and. A, real, a co-worker of mine being like, this is going to be a bigger problem than people realize um, it, right when he was drafted, and I was kind of shooting it off like, "Ah, eh, I never really remember fumbles being a huge problem for any quarterback I've followed uh, Let's just see what happens, but you're right, it could be playing a factor in his head, but the fact of the matter is this Nick the best quarterbacks in the NFL or even just the quarterbacks who can win you Super Bowls let's put it let's let's put it clearly like that are the ones who are willing to make those throws downfield when blitz and have the arm talent to make those throws because you're not going to get a clean bat you're not going to get a clean balance based a lot of the time you're not going to get the opportunity to square your shoulders up a lot of the time but you're gonna have to still find a way to make those throws and that's the key can Daniel Jones Find a way to make those off-balance throws from a not-clean platform when the pressure or the blitz is coming down instead of just opting to check down.
1: That's the big thing. And there was a play that comes to my mind against Philadelphia. I think it was the game he was hurt. It was a third and seven. So he's playing with an injury here. And you might remember this because I know you were a big John Ross guy. And they aligned in a bunch. And John Ross ran a horizontal cross. And I believe Jonathan Gannon brought six on the pressure. Daniel Jones actually stood in the pocket. Ended up taking a hit and he fired a ball in stride to Jonathan Ross and it went for like 20 yards. That was one play that I think we talked about on the podcast and we were like, yo, that was really good right there. He stuck up, stood up against the Blitz. Wasn't a play action, which is a normal play. I think there was another one against... Las Vegas that I remember as well, where he like threw awkwardly, got hit and found Kenny Galladay for a slant for like 15 yards. So there are plays where he's able to do it. But again, it goes down to that consistency factor. And I don't even think Daniel Jones is necessarily somebody who's scared of contact either, which you've no. seen quarterbacks in the past. It's not like he's afraid of getting hurt or taking a hit. I think some of it comes down. He's afraid of making a mistake and it's just a lot going on and he can get maybe a little panicky, but it's definitely not because of a lack of physical toughness not because of
2: toughness, not because of grit at all. Those are two traits I really like from Jones. And I think you said it best, Nick. It's never a discussion of, because I know we hear this a lot in our replies or if anyone's kind of defending Jones, it's never a discussion of, can he do this? Because that doesn't matter. Every quarterback needs to be able to do this. And there are examples of when Daniel Jones has done it. Nick brought up two great ones. Every quarterback has examples of when they've done it. Even guys who are never going to be anything but backups. It's a matter of how consistently can they do it. Of all these things we talk about, it's a matter of consistency. You have to get to a certain threshold to be even capable of winning you know winning more games than losing games and you have to get to the next threshold to be capable of getting your team to make a playoff run. Then you got to get to the even next threshold in my mind to be capable of consistently putting, giving your team a chance to win super bowls every single year, regardless of like kind of what's around them type of thing. And obviously that doesn't mean, you know, put together a horrific roster like the Seahawks did last year for Russell Wilson. It means, you know, a pretty good roster that may have some holes, but you have the quarterback who consistently do these things enough to give yourself a chance to win. And that's where we need to get to with Jones. He has a really big jump to make from a consistency standpoint, really across the board even with the things he does well, with the exception, I think, of the deep throwing, which I think he is already there from a consistency standpoint, just needs to get there from a volume standpoint is what I would say with regards to that. But let's transition now, and we don't have to do too much on this, but I want to talk well, a little bit about Jones's traits here and some of the things that stand out to me. From a traits-based standpoint, putting, you know, putting aside these stats for a moment, Nick, what are some of the areas that have you excited about Jones and his development and his future with the Giants, and what are some of the areas that you're more concerned with and then talking about the concerned areas, I want you to, to answer two questions, Nick. One, while you're breaking them down. One, do you think these are areas that can be uh, improved? Two, if not, are they, are they can you still win a Super Bowl or compete for Super Bowls consistently with a quarterback who doesn't have that trade?
1: So consistently, no, and I'm going to start with the negative. And I think we've, you know, hit it ad nauseum at this point. It's pre to post snap processing. It's pulling the trigger. It's not getting locked on to one target. It's getting rid of the football when the opportunity presents itself and not second guessing, which are all things that Daniel Jones does. Can that be corrected? I do believe it can be to a certain extent. Can you win or can you compete for a Super Bowl consistently is how you put it? No. Can you compete for a Super Bowl? Yes, I think you can compete for a Super Bowl and you can get hot at the right time. The New York Giants, we know a lot about that. You have a good, strong defense. Daniel Jones doesn't do a lot to hurt your team and does enough to make help you win football games. I think you can compete, but I don't necessarily think that's sustainable if you don't correct your mental processing throughout the entirety of your of the, of a play from the pre to the post snap phase on a consistent basis. In terms of the traits that I do like, we could start with his athletic ability. That is evident. I think he throws with good touch at times over the middle of the field. I think he's accurate on his deep passes. I think he's progressed in terms of using his eyes to manipulate middle of the field, close safeties, and then throw to one-on-one matchups that he found advantageous. From the pre-snap portion, I feel like he's advanced in terms of throwing hot in 2021. I still think there's room to work, but I do believe there were plays against the Rams that I saw him get to the running back in the flat when he saw a backside blitz coming that he necessarily shouldn't have seen so easily because it was to his opposite set side. So there are a lot of things about Daniel Jones that I do appreciate. I don't necessarily think he is overly accurate on a consistent level. That's why I said it's more for the deep portion. I think he does have the touch. I think he can be more consistently accurate. It's something that I feel like you see in the in the short parts of the field him just throw it inaccurately and you're like why the heck did he do that so those are also things i feel like he did a better job manipulating the pocket in 2021 still needs to develop there so a lot of his game and a lot of the traits that i do like still have room for development which gives you encouragement maybe he can take his game to the next level but i still think the main thing that he needs to fix is the thing that this whole podcast has been centralized around dan and that is his ability to speed his process up and find the open receiver post snap
2: Yeah, for sure, because that's going to and you're right about that, Nick, because that's going to negate a lot of the trades that I'm about to bring up that I have concerns with. But before I do that, I want to say this room to improve on is one thing, but also can he get there is another thing. So with regards to some of the things you said, the accuracy in the short game is not what I want it to be. And I know you just brought that up, which I'm so happy you did because it doesn't get talked about a lot. His accuracy has actually waned in the zero to five yard range. Last year, he was 33rd, I believe, in in target percentage from a clean base on zero to five yard throws. Now, that means are you maximizing where you're placing the ball to give your receiver the best chance at yak? And it's so weird, Nick, because he did such a much felt like that was one of his best traits from the 2019 season when he had Shermer. I don't really fully know what happened there. Is it just a matter of, well, he works so much better with a mesh based offense that's using a ton of crossing routes and throwing those crossers than it than he is when he has to throw a 10 yard comeback or a stop route or a back shoulder fade or something of that nature? That might be the case. That might be just the traits that he has, what he's been dealt and what he's going to be a thrower who's better in that, you know, crossing route type of game. I don't know, but it is something that concerns me. But A couple of the other things I wanted to bring up are, I think part of why the accuracy is is what it is right now, which is, I I guess, solid in some ways, especially down the field, but not overly great, especially for a quarterback who, in my mind, is going to have to be a pocket passer his entire career. And we'll get to why that's the case in a moment. But I think the footwork hasn't come as far along as what I had hoped it might. From the issues that were so clear on his film at Duke, that I felt like made a little bit of progress with Shermer, but not fully um, and just haven't been to where I was hoping they would get to with a quarterback coach like Jason Garrett, who's played the position uh, working with him. So what are your
1: thoughts on Jones's footwork and where that's at? So his footwork, I'm trying to think back to plays where cause there were plays on film where I was like, ah, oh, man, I feel like his base was a little bit too wide there and his hips weren't necessarily oriented where they needed to be. One play that actually comes to mind with that was the play where Saquon Barkley got hurt against Dallas and he kind of right. threw the ball high and then Saquon took a couple steps, ended up stepping on a linebacker and rolling his ankle, just typical New York Giants luck right there. But there were plays like that on in-breaking routes where I felt like he didn't, he didn't aim right, if that makes sense. He didn't point the foot into the foot, the hips, the eyes, the shoulders weren't all – in alignment so he was basically trying to use like kentucky windage to throw the football and get it to where it needed to be and it usually led to him leading a receiver too far if he was targeting the flat i remember there was a play where he targeted elijah penny against denver and he just like basically threw it right into the ground there were several plays like that where he had a guy in the flat and he just wasn't accurate he didn't hit the guy in stride and then there were also plays where he airmailed over the middle of the field i think it all comes down to his base so i think consistently speaking Daniel Jones' footwork doesn't really – it's not a huge issue with his game, but I feel like it crops up once every couple games to the point where you're like, what the heck? And that leads me to believe that that's a big enough problem to be discussed. And I think we've seen that in key situations, sometimes on third down and sometimes on first down and sometimes whenever. Yeah, and it's
2: the the drifting to the left that I still think he does. It was his biggest issue at Duke on throws to his left. I think there's just – you know, still room to grow there, I guess I would say, but at some point I at least have to be like, well, he's had three years. He's had two coaches who one was a quarterback whisperer and Pat Shermer, the other who was known as a really good quarterback developer. And it hasn't really improved that much despite it's made improved. It's made strides. Like, trust me, it was way worse at Duke. Like, especially he would at Duke, there was it was almost like, a, like 50% of the times he tried throwing left. He would drift with his feet before making the throw and be completely off balance and just inaccurate that's not the case like we watch enough tape like you said to know it's more of an issue that crops up every few games but ultimately for the quarterback that he has to be it's an issue that can almost never crop up and i'll get to that now nick my biggest issue with jones outside of the processing so that's the obvious number one issue with jones my biggest issue after that is his ability and this is way 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 high up there it's like that's one the one i'm about to say is two, nick and then it's a big drop off because one these are his biggest issues but two these are issues man that I just don't know are recover Like if you have these issues, one, I just don't know how likely they are to improve. This one I'm about to bring up, I think is almost impossible to improve. The processing, I guess, is possible to improve. A lot of people have a lot of different thought process on that. A lot of good smart minds I've talked to say, you either see it or you don't as a quarterback. It's not something that can really drastically improve, but at least there's some evidence and there's some speculation and some hope that processing can take a big jump. The second one I'm about to talk about almost a guarantee to not take a jump for any quarterback that doesn't have it. And ultimately for me, man, my biggest drawback with Jones, no matter what happens, the season is if he doesn't have these two traits, I don't know that he can ever consistently give you Super Bowl chances, and then I just don't have any interest because I don't want another Kirk Cousins ceiling. I don't want another Ryan Tannehill. I don't want another Derek Carr. Look at what these Vikings and Raiders have gotten these last five years from building and banking on these quarterbacks. They've gotten nothing. They've gotten absolutely nothing. They've gotten not miserable seasons like the Giants have had, but they've gotten no playoff runs whatsoever. And so here it is, Nick. It's his ability to throw off platform, it's his ability to make throws. And you saw this last year when the Giants were like, Well, our pass production's so bad. Let's try to move the pocket. Let's try to make design pass plays that move the pocket. Well, when they did that with Daniel Jones, he didn't really successfully do that. And a lot of it was what you said before, he, he locked on to reads. But more of it for me is he just hasn't displayed any kind of consistency at all. To, to to maintain velocity and ball placement when he's not throwing from a balanced base. And more importantly, when he's not getting his shoulders squared into throws, that's the biggest issue for Jones. That's when, it, when we talk about arm talent, we talk about 37 percentile velocity. We talk about, is his arm talent adequate? Is it solid? When you talk about his arm talent on the throws off platform, when he doesn't have the ability to square his shoulders and throw from that balanced place, it is not adequate. It is not solid to me. It is clearly quite clearly on film below average at best. Can that be fixed? And how important that is that for a
1: quarterback? Yeah. Can that be fixed Is hard? I mean, I'm not a quarterback guru or a quarterback coach. I, I would imagine there's probably me- mechanical things that can improve that. I'm wondering how much of it is between the ears. Him maybe thinking a little bit too much as well. Uh, it's a little bit difficult for me to say if that can or can't be fixed, but it's definitely an issue. It's something that we've seen for the last basically three years. He doesn't have many throws. There are a few, but like I said, he, he has flashes, but there aren't a lot of throws where he is moving in one direction and then he just puts a pinpoint pass on target, which is something you see a lot from these young quarterbacks who are mobile. Daniel Jones, very mobile, very athletic, has great escapability or good escapability, I'll say. But when you get him rolling to his right, he doesn't really throw well. In stride and that's something that I think will always hold him back from reaching his full potential. Hopefully Brian Dable can can really help it. I, I'm not a hundred percent certain if that's possible though.
2: Yeah I would I would venture to say it's very unlikely if we're gonna be completely honest about the situation. And, and you mentioned throwing to the rolling to the right rolling to the left there's even far and few examples of him maintaining accuracy. And more important to me it's the velocity it just drops no both. It's really the the ball placement and the velocity they just take such a big you know pitfall. They just dip down so low now, there are examples of quarterbacks over time who haven't had this ability. Like, think of Drew Brees. How many off-balance, you know, how many throws did Drew Brees made from an unbalanced base where he wasn't able to square his shoulders? Almost none, right? Tom Brady. How many throws did he make? Almost none. Mac Jones the a player a lot of people like. I'm a little bit skeptical of, but a lot of people like. He's not going to be making many of those either in his career, and he still might be good. But what you need? What do you need when you don't have that ability, which I, again, do not think Jones has, and I do not think that's going to change. What do you need when you don't have that ability? You need to be able to process defenses at a borderline elite level. If you want to become a Super Bowl winning quarterback, in my opinion, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any in between there. I think Matt Ryan's another good example of this. Haven't seen many of these types of throws from Matt Ryan, right? But Matt Ryan has done a really good job of mastering the processing element of this game. He never won a Super Bowl, but he got them there once. And I think he, he's a good example of maybe what the the ultimate ultimate ceiling for Jones can be. If he takes this huge step with processing, Um, But look, again, if you don't have that off balance, if you don't have the ability to make throws when you're not throwing from that clean balance base with your shoulders squared, which is what Jones needs, you really, really got to be a good processor. So I think that's the big thing for me, Jones, this season, what I need to see from Jones, considering I'm not full, I'm I'm most likely not going to believe the off balance stuff is going to change. I need to see him not make a jump in the processing, Nick. I don't need to see him go from like one of these bottom five, bottom 10 processors, which in my opinion, he is right now. I need to see him become a top 12 processor. And that could happen with Brian Dable. It could have just been an example of all this time Jason Garrett was holding him back. All this time, you know, the offensive line was holding him back. All this time, wide receiver injuries were holding him back. But I need to see him become this really good processor that turns those flash moments as a processor, like we talked about earlier with that Kenny Galladay play where he waits for him to get in that second window, flash moments of processing
1: to consistent moments of processing over and over and over again,
2: punishing defenses
1: as a passer. That's what we need, and that's hopefully what we'll get to. I mean, it's, it's hard to say right now, but I'm just going through my mind right now, and I think he had like one or two plays that were where it was, I would say solid moving and, and, and throwing with accuracy 10 yards downfield, but there's not any that really kind of pop out to me, and that's that's problematic. And it's crazy, too, because his
2: first game ever, he made a really good throw yes. rolling to his left to Darius Slayton down the field. It's like it one the- of the best
1: throws of his career. dude. Yeah,
2: they literally might have been the best actual pure arm talent wise throw. It is actually the best arm talent wise throw his career, not taking away the processing, all the other things that go into it. Just pure arm talent wise. It was the best of his career. And what happened? Like, how is there no more examples of that on film And a three year sample size? It's just so wild to me. Like, I know the coaching's bad, the offensive line's bad, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't really equate to no no examples over such a large sample size, right? Like at that point, like you can't use these excuses for that large of a sample size. In a three-game span, okay, I could say, you know what, the coaching was so bad. The offense line play was so bad, you'll never see an example of it. But three-year span, you were just expecting and hoping to see more. We'll see what happens in that regard. Um, We'll have to get into too many more of these. We can do a trade space stuff later. I think we hit the two main ones there, Nick. All right, Nick, anything else on Daniel Jones before we turn the page and – Start to like look forward to position previews. We'll talk a little bit about the other quarterbacks in the QB plus RB
1: position preview, but anything specifically on Jones on Jones specifically. I mean, no, I'm just looking forward to it, dude. And I just, I'm eager for the NFL season to get here because we could see something different. It could be the same, but then we, at least we have some clarity on what the situation's all about.
2: Yeah, we will. We'll get a lot of clarity this season. I'm really looking forward to seeing Jones potentially progress within this system. Again, we see the flashes. We all see the flashes, Nick, myself, And you guys who watch the game, some see more than others, The, the Daniel Jones truthers. They see a lot more than maybe I do, but we'll all know with certainty, if that those flashes turn into consistency, it will be obvious to us all. And so hopefully this year we finally get a consistent version of Daniel Jones. I think it's possible. I think there's a lot working in his favor this year from the offensive line to a hopefully healthier receiver group with a little bit more talent, even than last year. And then more importantly, and most importantly, I think for him, at least to a coach, that's going to put him in a better position to succeed. So time will tell. Thank you so much for tuning into the big blue banter, Daniel Jones deep dive, please. If you want to help us grow, I think some of you have already done this. Please go ahead, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or on Spotify. Make sure you follow us. One key thing for us is we need you to download all these podcasts, not just hit play and listen, make sure you hit the download button. I know I am a victim. I am somebody who makes a mistake often. And I've made a, clear concerted effort to fix this when i listen to podcasts sometimes i just hit play and then i'm like damn it you know what let me make sure i download this which is good anyway because i listen them in the car so i don't have to go through those patches of no service where i lose the pod but in general it's great for the people who produce the pods these are free pods obviously not to not to hone in on that but just help us out in the little ways leave us a rating review download the pods follow the pod that's all we'll ever ask so thank you so much for tuning in have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon we're going to get into our position previews shortly